Hey, so Lord of the Rings is one of those movies that if you were a guy, it just causes your heart to beat a little faster, doesn't it? It's kind of up there with like Braveheart, you know, with the swords and the clashing, especially in surround sound. I was sitting up here by the subwoofer, and I'm like, oh yeah. And you can hear, you know, in the surround sound, you hear the, the arrows going by. It's, that's a good movie. That's good. It's one of those movies where um, if you're a guy, do you notice how you walk out of movies? <laughs> like, because your wife does. Guys will walk out of movies like, what's up? You know? Every guy walking out of the born identity is like that. I'll help you get to the car, honey. One good IHOP, I'll buy. You know, it just, it makes you feel, doesn't it? It makes you feel manly, you know? It just brings out something inside of you. So I love that movie. But here, here it is, this last movie in the whole entire trilogy. Frodo, our little friend, he's so close. He's so close to getting rid of the ring, and you know the story probably. He gets rid of the ring, and he takes out evil. It's a good story. And he's about ready there. He's, he can see it. He can smell it. He's on a mountain. What's the name of the mountain? Wow, way too many of you know that. <laughs> okay, so uh, he's, he's about ready to defeat evil. In the last few moments, he collapses. And, and, and everyone in the movie goes, get up, little hobbit! You know, because if the movie just ended there, ah, what a waste of time. I mean, seriously, I wasted my whole life of three, three movies to come to this point where, where he doesn't actually made it, make it. But, but the supporting hobbit role, Sam, right? He's been there the whole time. He's the unsung hero. He comes up to Frodo, his little hobbit friend, and he goes, I can't carry, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry... Oh, and he picks up his little friend and throws him over his shoulder and goes plodding up the mountain to victory. I love it. I love it. And as I was thinking about this clip this week, I'm like, huh, I don't know if I've ever been carried like that. I think there are very few people in K2 who would, could actually carry me like that, you know? Um, but I, I can't think of a time where I've actually been physically thrown over someone's shoulder and carried, but I have been rescued. And, and I've experienced this, these, these friends who have swooped in to, uh, to rescue and, 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 and help me when I'm weak. So here, here's, here's a great little, uh, little point here. I was on a Golder Dome years ago. I don't know how many years ago, but uh, before we moved up here to Utah, Golder Dome is this beautiful 800-foot uh, granite piece of slab way out in the middle of nowhere. It's in this valley that you have to four-wheel drive into. And uh, Steve, uh, Steve and I, my climbing partner, we had a great day of climbing on Golder Dome. Climbed all the way to the top. And when you get to the top, you have a choice in climbing. You can either hike off or you can repel down. And uh, so we checked the climbing guide, and the climbing guide uh, that was published said, oh, you can just repel down the front. And there are equally spaced repel stations to, to where you can go down. And it's a much easier way, and it's you know, a heck of a lot more fun. And, and so we were going to repel down to our packs and just be on our way. And so we got through the first couple repels. And the way this works is you double up your rope. You put it through a little uh, eye hook or chains or whatever it is, and you repel down, you get to the end of the rope, and you pull the rope, and it comes down. You do it again and again and again. We did about two or three, and we found ourselves in the middle of Golder Dome. Beautiful. And the sun is starting to set. Just a great day of climbing. And uh, I, I repel down, and I'm looking for the next repel station. And so what this is, is climbers go out with their Bosch drills, and they drill holes in the rock, and they, they attach you know, uh, some bolts in there and throw some chain on there, and you look for these things, and that's where you're going to repel from. Well, I get to the end of the rope, and, and I, I don't see anything. Huh. 
Hey, there's nothing down here, Steve. He's like, all right, why don't you come back up? You don't have your glasses on. All right. So I, I Jumar all the way back up, and we're sitting on this little tiny ledge. It's about uh, three feet by two feet, and I'm like, okay, I'll just stay here. Like, where am I going to go? And he's going to go down, and so he repels all the way down, and he's swinging back and forth, running back and forth on the side of this golder dome. And he's like, there's nothing down here. I'm like, that's what I'm saying, man. So he comes all the way back up. Jumar's all the way back up, and he's on the ledge, and he goes, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, me neither. I'm like, crud, because I was hoping he would know. If he doesn't know, I know I don't know. And so we were just sitting there, and I'm like, wow. Well, we could go up, and we look up, and it's like glass. We look down. It's like glass. It's just so smooth, smooth rock. If you're a climber in here, 5'11". Backcountry, trad climbing, really tough. So we sat down. (laughs) We played some games, you know. Hey, would you for $100, you know, like drink some really old spoiled milk? Yeah, I'd do that for 100 bucks. Cool. All right, you go. And we did this for a while, and finally I, I'm like, hey, I should probably call my wife. And so I, I called Beth. I'm like, hey, Beth, how are you doing? Cell phone reception. That's awesome. And she's like, oh, good. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just laying on the couch with an Afghan. It's a little cold, you know, and I'm just chilling on the couch. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Hey, we're going to be a little late. Uh, in fact, we're thinking we're just going to spend the night. Don't worry about it. I'll see you in the morning. Clink. Another hour goes by. It starts getting really cold in the desert at night. We're in shorts and T-shirts, and, and the temperature is dropping. I call her back. I'm like, yeah, okay, so that whole uh, sleeping overnight thing, yeah, we're not really digging that. Okay, so here's the deal. We're on the cliff. <laughs> Could you send help, please? <laughs> and she goes, oh, yeah. I'm like, call Wade and Kenyon. They'll come. And so she calls Wade and Kenyon. Wade was in this training seminar for work or something like that. I don't know what it was. And he's like, woo! And so they're packing up the Jeep. They're throwing in all the gear. They're like, rescue, rescue, rescue. And, and they're really excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to hear about this for years. And so we're sitting on this, this little ledge, and we took turns sleeping and holding on to each other <laughs> and, and sleeping on this little tiny ledge, 500 feet, two by three. Well, a couple hours later, we see the lights of a Jeep coming up the canyon. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And then I slept. And I woke back up, and I then see headlamps. And the headlamps are going like this. I'm like, they're hiking. Look at that, Steve. They're hiking up. He's like, oh, that's awesome. And so we, we slept a little bit more. I, I woke up again, and I look, and the headlights are stopped. Hey, Steve, how long have they just been sitting there? He goes, man, for like 20 minutes. So we're in this valley. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? The headlights and they start running up. Long story really short, they, uh, they, got, they climbed up a couple pitches, threw us a line, we Tyrolean Traverse off this thing. Tyrolean Traverse is like a little James, James Bond, Bond move, and as you go down, you go, yeah, and you go down, and waiting down there, they had hot chocolate and, and jackets, a little bit of ribbing, and uh, it was awesome. Then we went to breakfast. I'm telling you, it's sweet to have friends like that, isn't it? If you have a friend like that, you, you're lucky. You're lucky because not many people have friends that would do that. It's a blessing. Friends that will help you shoulder your burden, whether it be physically like that or spiritually or emotionally, that they'll be there with you in this time of need. They'll stand in the gap for you. They'll do whatever it takes to lift you to your feet, to be with you. This morning, um, we're going to be looking at a couple guys that did that in uh, Mark 2. It's a story of four guys. You might be familiar with it, but we're going to dissect this thing a little bit more. And and these four guys, they saw Jesus do something amazing. They witnessed the power of God. And because of what they experienced in God, because of what they, they saw Jesus do, these four guys, they were motivated. They were they felt compelled in life. 
they became extremely missional. They ran into the touch of God and their lives were no longer the same from there forward. And their faith this morning, we're gonna take a look at, is an amazing picture for you and for me because they had this incredible encounter with Jesus Christ that sent them on a mission. So Mark chapter two, I'm gonna do something I've actually never done before. I'm gonna read this whole entire thing. It's fairly lengthy. Check it out on the screen and then we're gonna go back and we're gonna dissect it, all right? Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, go home. And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, huh, we have never seen anything like this. Oh, th- oh, that's one of those moments right at the end of this. Oh, what a great story. Lord of the Rings has nothing on this. Have you ever found yourself in um, an airport or a restaurant or in a mall and, and, and you start to people watch? Does anyone people watch here? Yeah, sickos. Yeah, because you kind of feel like you're a psycho, don't you? Like, okay, I'm stalking people, I shouldn't do this. But it's, it's fun, right? It's, it's fun to, to figure out what people are thinking and what they're doing and, oh, this person has a bad mood, I wonder what's going on or, you know, or whatever, right? It's very interesting. People are very interesting. Well, not too long ago, Beth and I were sitting in a restaurant and it was just her and I and, and, and behind her was a couple in the booth and they were speaking um, loud enough for us to hear and uh, this drama started to unfold, and Beth's like, what are they doing? I'm like, dude, they're breaking up. <laughs> the girl is, hold on. Yeah, she's breaking up with him. Okay, he's totally a jerk. He deserves it. Oh, you go, girl. You know, and I was kind of like in on this thing, and then I realized, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel kind of dirty, like I'm stalking these people. All right, focus, focus, focus. If you, if you just sit and, and, and watch situations, amazing things will unfold Amazing things will unfold, the drama that's around us. What I want to do this morning is take a look at Mark 2 in kind of that, that frame of mind. I want us to take a look at each of the players. I want us to take a look at the scene, the interaction, the, the climate, the tone, everything that's going on in this passage and pretend like we're flying the wall watching this unfold. Let's freeze frame this action here. First of all, it starts off with Jesus in Mark chapter two here. And, and we're told that Jesus came back to Capernaum, indicating that he had already been there. Because in, in chapter one, Jesus was in Capernaum, 
and, and, and he was doing a lot of miracles. And so he, he actually, in, in Mark chapter one, he healed this, this, this guy that had leprosy. And he said to the guy, he, he, he said, listen, now you need to go and, and show yourself to the priest. We learned about that a couple weeks ago. That's the custom. Uh, show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anybody about this, but just go. Do this. Be blessed. So the guy, what's he do? He runs all over town. He starts blabbing. Jesus did this. It's awesome. So Jesus gets mobbed, and he has to leave Capernaum. He, he gets mobbed, he leaves Capernaum, and, and actually it says that he went to some secluded areas, kind of waiting for it to cool down, and then he came back in a few days later. Well, you can imagine a few days later after coming back into Capernaum, everyone's like really excited about this, right? They're like, oh yeah, Jesus is back in town. Remember, he healed Joe. That was awesome. Come on, he's back in town. The carnival's here. You know, and they're kind of running to see, and they start mobbing. It's just happening again. They're mobbing Jesus the second time. So in Mark chapter 2, we find out that the house where Jesus is staying is packed. It's totally packed. People are slammed in there, and uh, there's tons of people. But here's the thing. They didn't have any PA systems, right? <laughs> and so Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. And we don't know the content of what he's teaching. But I'm willing to bet tons of people there, maybe as much as we have here right now in this auditorium. I don't know. Maybe more. We, we don't know. But a lot of people slammed in there, and they're probably all really quiet just listening. I'm willing to bet people outside the house just leaning in, trying to just get an earful of whatever he's trying to say. Houses back in that time, they weren't very big, right? They weren't big at all. Most of them were one story, and, and uh, the roof was made out of uh, timbers, uh, you know, uh, uh, beams that were going across, wood beams, and then they would take leaves and sticks and palm fronds, whatever, and kind of make this little matted roof. And then they'd take mud on top of that and kind of compact it down so that it would keep out the elements and everything. And they had stairs going up to the top of the roof. And, and if you were really kind of uh, wealthy, maybe you had a courtyard, so maybe people were just slammed into the courtyard as well. We don't know. It was a pretty typical house. And Jesus is there. And he's teaching. Well, there's some other players in this, this story. The religious teachers. They come in, and it says they were sitting, which means they probably came in, and the seats cleared because out of honor they could sit down, and they were there. And, and they were there because Jesus is, is causing a stir, right? And, and these religious teachers kind of come with their own minor chords, like, dun, 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 you know, and they always show up when Jesus is preaching. And they're always like, well, what about, and they throw out these things trying to trip up Jesus. Why? Because really, in, in, as far as the caste system goes, religious teachers are kind of like the cream of the crop. They are the top. They're the top feeders. And Jesus is upsetting the balance of what's going on. And so they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to, to discredit him. Okay, let's go. Let's go blow holes in his thinking. So we have Jesus. We've got this crowd slamming into this house. We've got religious thinkers or religious teachers that are there. And then we come to the main characters of the story. Four guys who come running in with a mat. And laying on this mat is their buddy. Okay, so I, I, I don't know why this stuck out. Think about this for a second. Why did these guys stick out? Why this paralyzed guy? Because for all the years that Jesus did ministry, I'm sure, how many paralyzed people did he heal? How many, how many lepers did he touch? How many people that had all kinds of ailments did he heal? I don't know. I'm willing to bet it was tons, but something popped out about this particular paralytic dude that, that made Mark kind of, kind of pause and capture this moment as he's writing this story. 
Now see, Luke, Luke did the same thing. Luke wrote about this story, and Luke and, and Mark, they agree on all, 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 all the story. It's pretty much an identical story. However, Luke adds one detail, one element. It's actually kind of his own editorial element that Mark does not add. And here's what Luke says. He says this, the power of the Lord was present for him, being Jesus. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. That's what Luke says about this whole scenario going down. And that kind of causes you, at least it does for me, to stop and scratch my head and go, the power of the Lord was present while Jesus was there? Hello? (laughs) Jesus is God the last time I checked. He is the Son of God. He is is, is God and man. Of course the power of the Lord is there. Luke, why are you saying this? Everywhere Jesus went, the power of God was there for him to heal and do miracles and and to, to change people's lives. No, duh. But what I think Luke is really saying here is he's saying this was a special moment. Look out, watch, something's gonna happen. This is no ordinary day. The power of God is present. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Have you you ever experienced the touch of God where the hair on the back of your neck, the power of God is real, present, and there, and you're like, whoa, something's about to happen. I talked with somebody recently who, who was visiting K2, and this individual said that he came in on a Sunday morning, and there was nothing necessarily different about the Sunday morning, but he knew God was at work, and it was a powerful, powerful, powerful day. I think that's what Luke is saying here that there's an overwhelming sense that God is about ready to do something. Hold on, because the transformational power of God is gonna rock someone's life, and it could be your own. Well, that's what Luke is saying. So right in the midst of this, four guys show up. They, they, they come with their buddy. They're carrying him on a mat. And I gotta just tell you something. There's, there's something I really love about these guys. <laughs> that they come running in. I don't know if they're carrying a family member. I don't know if this is a friend. I don't know if it's a dude they found on the street. I don't know who this guy is. But, but what we do know is that they love him. They care for this individual enough to bring him. And, and, and they pick up this guy and they, they throw him on the mat and they run through town with him. And I'm just trying to picture that in my mind. Like, what would the dialogue be like? You know? Dude, don't drop him. Whoa, watch his head on the corners, you know? And, and just running through town. Let's go. Come on. Jesus is here. You get a real sense of this tremendous love, this commitment, this care that these guys have. Can I just pause and say, I think there are so many people in the world that would pay for that type of friendship. because of the loneliness, the, the, the pain, the discontent, the, the, the whatever that's happening, people living in this isolated world, it's pretty rare that you have people that love you enough to carry you, to pick you up, to shoulder your burden. So you have to ask, why'd these guys do it? Why'd they do it? What compelled them? What, what motivated them to grab this dude and drag him to Jesus? Well, see, the scripture doesn't directly tell us, but what we can see later on by Jesus' interactions with these guys, it indirectly implies that these guys had a run-in with Jesus. 
Because I'm willing to bet that they experienced the touch of God. I don't know if it was previous. I don't know if it was on that trip that Jesus had to Capernaum. I don't know if it was a couple days earlier. I have no idea if these four guys, two of them, one of them, four of them, three of them, I don't know if they were a leper that that, that Jesus healed. I don't know if they were paralyzed three days earlier. But what I do know, what I can sense here, and just reading the scripture and checking it out, that they had some kind of encounter with Jesus that did not leave them normal. They ran into the power of God, and they were, they were missional. They were changed. They were motivated. They were compelled to go and do something for their buddy. It was some kind of connection. And I've experienced that in my life. I've experienced the power of God. And maybe you have too, and I've got to tell you, once you experience the touch of God, you cannot remain the same. You can't be the same. There are many, many of you here today. We swap stories all the time. We, we spend time together. And, you know, in a room this size, there are many, many of us here that have lived lives of pain, and maybe your story involves that past pain, present pain, whatever, uh, loneliness, brokenness, suffering that you've endured. The list goes on and on and on. But somewhere... If in your past you have run into the life-saving power of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, and you know what I'm saying, you will never be the same when you run into Jesus Christ head on. Because once you've experienced God's deep love for you, once you've experienced his intense forgiveness, once you've experienced this hardcore reconciliation that Jesus brings through his death on the cross between you and God, once you've experienced the gospel, which means good news, In its truest sense, you can't be the same. You can't. It's not possible. And that's what I think happened in the the lives of these four guys here. This, this, This was motivation for them. Their faith was persistent because they knew that Christ was the answer. They knew that this was this guy's chance. So they run with him. They bring him in. And I don't know what they told him. Maybe it went something like this. Listen, man, we love you too much to let you just lay here. I'm not gonna leave you here. I need to get you somehow before Jesus. And their faith was persistent. So they arrive at this house, and again, the house is what? Just totally crammed, right? It's just crammed full of people. They go to the front door, can't get in. Look at a window, can't get in. Their faith is persistent. What do they do? Verse four, check it out here on the screen. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. (laughs) Okay, again, imagine this scene, if you will, all right? Imagine this scene. It's quiet. There are lots of people there. They're leaning in to hear Jesus, and then all of a sudden there's a thumping on the roof, and it's not Santa. (laughs) They didn't know about that. And, and some dust might start settling down. And people are like, what is going on? And then the banging starts. And maybe a pickaxe, I don't know. And, and it starts chipping away. And the owner of the house, by the way, probably starts flipping out and having a, a, a conniption right there, right? Would you? Yeah, your, your beautiful 20-year warrantied roof ripped off, right? Okay, so whose house was this? Well, in chapter one of Mark, when Jesus first went to Capernaum, it says he went to the synagogue, and then after he went to the synagogue, he entered the house of Simon and Andrew. 
And then he got mobbed, and he left for a few days, and then he came back to the house where he was staying. So best bets, this house belongs to Simon. Who is who? Simon Peter. Oh, okay. (laughs) What do you know about that guy? He's not right. (laughs) There's something with Simon Peter where this guy just kind of flies off the handle, right? That's the owner of the house. (laughs) People are ripping apart his roof. What does he do? I don't know. It's just pretty hard to imagine that he's just chilling through this, though. And soon a hole appears. Maybe an eye. (laughs) Maybe a whole head. Arms start coming through. I'm willing to bet Jesus was not ticked off by this. Do you think? Oh, (laughs) this is awesome, you know? And he's just probably smiling and just dust, you know, pieces of drywall are falling down on him, whatever. (laughs) Just dusting it off, smiling. If it was Simon Peter's house, I'm willing to bet he's probably now on the roof just giving up and like, all right, it's therapeutic. It just starts ripping, you know? The religious teachers, what are they thinking? Oh, this would never happen at the temple, all right? Let's make that clear. This is the scene. And here are these four men because they experienced the touch of God, this touch that motivated them, this motivation that turns into faith, this faith that just slams into action and missional Missional action, their faith is persistent. They're not going to give up. Take the stairs, and they head up. Their faith is persistent. Their faith is sacrificial. Do you think they had the conversation? Okay, if we rip off this, we're going to have to fix this. How much money you got in your pocket? You know? It's sacrificial. They're going to do what it takes to get their, their buddy there. Their faith is persistent. Their faith is sacrificial. Their, their, their faith is creative. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm going to get this man to the feet of Christ. I'm compelled, I'm motivated to do this. Verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now see, it wasn't the men's faith that forgave the man's sins. Don't don't draw those connections. That's an incorrect connection. Jesus said, because of your faith, this man is here. He looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Great. So we just got this man through the ceiling because he's paralyzed. Maybe you could have just said that a little loud. We could have waited outside. (laughs) This is not what they expect. Your sins are forgiven. Great. Now what about his legs? But see here, the the most important thing in this story is not that the guy actually gets up and walks. The most important thing about this guy's story is that he runs into the power of God, he runs into the touch of God, and he's forever changed. Life is never gonna be the same for this guy. Forever changed. And for the first time ever, he experiences the touch of God. Verse six. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, they thought to themselves, in their heads, with thoughts. What is he saying? They're thinking, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They were horrified, sitting there, wait a minute. Bam, we got him. Only God can do this. Verse eight, Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. How creepy is that? You have a thought, and Jesus goes, hey, by the way, so I was listening in on your thoughts, and I have a comment. 
And here's what Jesus says. He says, why do you ask this question in your hearts? I didn't think that. <laughs> Maybe you thought that. He nails them. And, and Jesus goes on to ask them. He asks them a very important question here. He says, is it, easy, uh, is it harder to forgive someone's sins or is it harder to heal someone? They don't answer, so he just answers for them. The, the, the correct answer is it's harder to forgive someone's sins. Why, why do you forgive the guy's sins? Because it proves that he was He was God. Luke was right. This was not an ordinary day. This was a very, very special day. But then as a bonus, (laughs) he heals the guy. He heals him. He commands the paralyzed man to stand up, grab your mat, go home. And what's the paralyzed guy's reaction? Thanks, yeah. Appreciate that. Excuse me, let me get this mat. Let me just sneak out. Okay, that's not his reaction. His reaction is, whoa, and he jumps up. They're working. These legs were atrophied. He jumps up. He's excited. Maybe he's doing a Jewish jig. I don't know. And and he grabs his mat, this mat that once was stained with, with, and, and it was his prison. Grabs it. And he runs out of the house. Why? Are you kidding me? He just experienced the touch of God. Okay, that's a great story. That's a great story. And I'm betting it's a story that that he tells for the rest of his life. Do you think? When does that story get old? (laughs) Had I ever tell you about when these worked? Yeah, you told us, Joe. I gotta tell you again, you know, and it changes something when you run into the power of God. Something happens in your life that compels you to tell your story. It compels you, it motivates you to do the same. Do you know that's what the gospel is? That Jesus came and died on the cross and reconciled us to God. It's grace. But what was the program for getting that out? Some disciples on a hill in Matthew 28, when Jesus said, now go and tell the world. And guess what? When people run into the power of God, it compels them and motivates them to tell the world. Listen, at K2 here, if we just did focused and tight and forgot the out there piece, go home. The gospel is motivating, it's missional, it compels you when you run into the touch of God will never be the same. Before Jesus ascends back to heaven, though, in Matthew chapter 10, I just gotta throw this in here, verse eight, actually all of chapter 10, he, he begins to tell his disciples kinda how to, how to go about telling the world. He gives them great instruction. But here's, here's one interesting thing that Jesus says in chapter eight here, uh, chapter 10, verse eight. He says this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. But then check this out. Give as freely as you have received. Listen, there's there's only two types of things that are going on here. There's only two types of people that the gospel talks about. Those who are laying on the mat 
and those who aren't. And it has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. It has nothing to do with your, 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 your knowledge. It has nothing to do with religious activity. It has everything to do with your re- relationship to the king. <laughs> and that's what the New Testament is all about all the way through it. This truth is clear. Zero exception. And Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 10 here, he's saying, disciples, guys, my team, you've lived with me for, for, for a long time now. You've seen, you, you've witnessed what I've done. You've, you've heard me talk about my father. You've seen the glory of God. You've seen the power. You've run headlong into it. Now remember, what have I done for you? What is your story? What's, what's gone on? How, how have you been radically touched? What has changed your life because you've been with me? What have you received freely? Because now that's what you go, that's what you're compelled to do. That's missional. That's what motivates you to go and pick up the corner of someone's mat. So go do that. Give what you've received. So I guess this is kind of where we end this today. If you consider yourself a Christ follower, this is what he's asking you to do, is to pick up a corner of the mat, to do whatever it takes. The faith that you've been given by God, persistent faith, creative faith, faith that takes a risk, faith that no matter what carries people to the feet of Jesus. It's about shouldering other people's burdens. It's about carrying each other's stuff that we're not proud of. It's about investing in the lives of people because you've been invested in. The Apostle Paul talks about this all throughout. I mean, pick a book that he writes. He talks about this. If I could summarize just like the first 10 chapters in a few words of Romans chapter, uh, from chapter one in Romans to around 10, Paul is basically saying, the Apostle Paul, and by the way, he was this guy that just killed Christians, remember that? He ran into the, the power of God, the touch of God. His life was radically changed. And during the first couple chapters of Romans, this is basically what he's saying. He goes, I will do whatever it takes. I'm not ashamed because God has rocked my world. I'm not ashamed because I've experienced life change and I have to tell you about that. I have to tell you about what I've experienced. I'll do whatever it takes. And let me just be clear here. The experience is the power of God. The experience is not K2, the church. The experience is not the next book that gets published that we read. The experience is not you know, a phenomenal small group a ministry of this or that. Do you know what the experience is? It is the power of Jesus Christ to save and to heal. That's what salvation is. That's reconciliation. If you're a follower of Christ, I need to ask you today, what compels you? What motivates you? It's awesome that we're coming into Christmas because next week, There's five services for you to think and pray about your friends and your family, your coworkers, and the people that are around you that may need to hear about what Christ has to offer. Hey, Ben, why don't you guys come on up? I guess the other thought as we end this time is maybe you're here today 
Maybe you came in, you know, and just, oh man, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. Maybe, maybe you're, this is maybe a new start of your journey or you're just kind of exploring who God is about. And I'm telling you, this is a great place to do that. Your journey is very important. And you're not gonna feel any pressure here because your journey is your story. But maybe as you're sitting here today, you're feeling paralyzed by the past in your life. The past hurts of either something you've done or something that someone has done to you, the turmoil of life, chapters that you're not proud of, the stuff that just feels like it's just pressuring down upon you, raining down upon you, and for whatever reason, you just feel paralyzed. Maybe it's paralyzed in loneliness, brokenness. Maybe you're ashamed. If I could encourage you to do anything, it would be today to just simply lay at the feet of Jesus and say yes. And here's the deal. I'm spending a lifetime trying to figure out who Jesus is. You, you can't figure it all out. <laughs> That's what this whole life is about. You don't have to know it all. It just comes to a point where you say yes to Jesus and run headlong into the touch of God. And that's my prayer for you. As we go into worship time, would you have that conversation with God? Just tell him what's on your heart. God, I need to walk. I need to stand up. I need to live. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your reconciliation. I need you. And for those of you that, that have experienced that in your life, that power of God, would you take this worship time to praise him and glorify him? Again, you brought nothing to the table. You pulled up to the table and God gave you everything you need. Who is it that needs to hear about this next week? Who needs to be brought by you, a mat carrier, to the feet of Jesus? Let's worship.